peace. It's finally settling down in a hot tub after 16 hours of stress at the office. Patience. It's not biting off the Walmart checker's head after a 45-minute wait in the express line. Turn in your New Testament to Galatians 5.22 and let's discover with our Truth Encounter study leader, Dave Wordson, what spirit-given peace and patience actually look like in your life. The last time our family was able to gather before they scattered out all over the place for a holiday was uh, the July 4th weekend when we celebrated all the freedoms we have. A little bit different than Halloween. But that was the time when Jonathan uh, brought his two little girls up here and Joel brought uh, their two little girls here and uh, everybody just about was together. We got, were able to get a family picture taken. But what I remember about that weekend is we needed some peace and patience. Any grandparents identify with that? Because uh, Fiona and Leela, I've shared with a little bit of their saga in the past, but Fiona and Leela are two, and they're real close to each other. Fiona's just about a, a month and a half younger than Leela, and uh, Leela, Fiona, the littler one, would be playing with a toy, and Leela would go right over and grab the toy away from her. And then Fiona would try to get it back. It's amazing you know, that, that they haven't learned how to share yet. Uh, I thought that the words and grandkids would be born just with patience and peace in their heart, and there would be no hostility of a good night. You know, Fiona would grab the toy away from her, and Leela would just haul off and hit her. It was really hard for Jonathan and Leslie, Leela's parents, to believe that their gorgeous little girl would do that. And, and, and we spent the weekend, you know, with Leela going to timeout and Fiona getting spankings, and, you know, it was, it, we really needed peace and patience. How many of you need peace and patience this morning as you work together during this Halloween weekend? How many of you have had a little bit of conflict as you've been trying to get those costumes ready and all that kind of a thing? We really need peace in relationships, and then we need patience in our family living. We also need peace and patience when it comes to some of the great crises of life. For example, Gatlin called me up suddenly, and he was weeping and said he just got word that his 76-year-old dad living up in Oklahoma, had just suddenly fallen over of a heart attack. And all the peace for a second, for probably several seconds, was gone from Gatlin's life. And he was calling because we're in this together. We're a family. It's why you need to be here this morning. The Lord doesn't mean for you to live in your life by yourself. You need your family. Like, I need my physical family, but I need you as my church family. And Gatlin did because he's been raised in this family from the time he was just a young teenager. He turned automatically to you as a family of believers. But Gatlin really needed peace. There wasn't peace in his heart. He also needed patience. There was going to be all the tremendous trauma of trying to get, find out, you know, have his older brother find out about the death. He was getting ready to go over to tell his mom about the death and, and, and all the, 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 the problem of, and the fear of having to give that kind of a news to your loved ones. And he was going to have to run down to Lake Whitney and then go travel all the way up to Oklahoma. And definitely peace and patience were needed over the last couple of days in Gatlin and Denise's life. 
I was sleeping, I think it was Thursday night, and I, my allergy was acting out, so I went out on the couch to get vertical for a while so that all that junk would not, you know, be flowing down into my lungs. And, you know, some of you, anybody have allergies? You can identify with that, okay? And you don't have peace when you do that. So I was sleeping there on the couch, and suddenly, 12 o'clock, the phone goes off. Man, I jumped out because Mary's, uh, one of Mary's relatives was staying with us. I didn't want to wake them up. I go run into the phone, and Janae doesn't have any peace in her life. She says, Dad, and she's trembling. Her voice is trembling. She said, oh, no, you know, what in the world has happened? And I suddenly have visions of her at, at uh, Baylor Hospital. And she says, Mary Lowry and I, we were driving back. We were on 75, and I went to turn the other lane. And, man, you know, I suddenly was going to turn into another car, and Mary screamed, and I jerked the wheel back the other way. And that's all that I remember because the car locked up, and we just started doing 360 down 75. And uh, my car that was a gift from the Lord looks now like it was a gift from the evil one. And I want to share with you, just like that, my peace was gone. Anybody identify with that? And also, my first response is, are you okay? Are you okay? And then I'm really praying to the Lord that Mary's okay, but then there's a real shot of impatience. How in the world did you ever have this happen? How many of you as parents have ever had that feeling towards your kids? Okay? In fact, uh, Deb Lowry called me up and says, are you sure that it, you know, wasn't, it wasn't Mary's fault? And, and, there's all, and I was trying to wrestle with this too, and, and it wasn't Mary's fault at all. It's, how many of you have ever had Rex like Janae had? All of you raise your hand. So don't blame it too much on Janae, all right? You've all done that. I've done it. And as a parent, I need to remember that, but I want to share with you, one of the reactions that we have is, oh, no, and we, we're not patient. How are we going to get this car together? How's Janae going to get to school? And we become impatient. So we need peace and patience. This week, I've needed it. We need it in our family life. We need it in those great personal accidents that take place that when the chaos just breaks upon us. Then I get another call. Later in the week, I get a call. Deb Brooks calls me. It says, we're rushing Lauren Kuntz her daughter to the hospital. And so I jump in my car and I go running up to the labor and delivery room. Now, labor and delivery is supposed to be a really exciting, glorious, happy time. I go into the waiting room and there's Lauren and JC sitting there. They're waiting to get a room. And Lauren has just found out that when they did the sonogram that there's no heartbeat for her baby's son. And she has a baby in her womb that's, that's gone. And then we spend the next two days taking a lot of medicine. And all of you moms, usually you have two or, you know, you have a shorter period of birth because you're able to really go into delivery and do a lot of work. But in something like that, some of you that have had miscarriages, and only those of you that have had miscarriages know what Lauren and Jason are going through right now. It takes a long time for nature to be able to do its work and respond to the medicine. And instead of having the joy of a new baby's son, you just have the deadness of your womb. You know what? You need peace, and you don't have any peace in a situation like that unless you have the Prince of Peace and him ruling in your heart. If you don't think that you need the fruit of the Spirit in your life, I'm just trying to give you a slice in the life of Dave Wurtzen and his church family, and I want you to take a slice in your own life. What have you been going through this week? You're going to need the fruit of the Spirit. Turn into Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. We're studying the fruit of the Spirit. We've been working on the great fundamentals. We started out last week sharing about the incredible fruit of love and joy. We try to get across to you that, that you're not going to find love on some enchanting evening. You're not going to be able to find love through your own strength. You're going to have to receive love from the author of love, the one that gave his son that sacrificed himself for our sins. 
We tried to get across to you last week that in response to God's love, we can have great joy. Now look at the next two. The Apostle Paul says in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, that the fruit of the Spirit is love. It is joy. And then he presents his next two. He says the next fruit of the Spirit is peace and his patience. Now, in the first century, when the Apostle Paul wrote this, if you wouldn't mention the word peace, they would have thought, especially if they were Romans and Greeks, just like that, they would have thought of the great peace of Rome. They call it the Pax Romana, the peace of Rome. Augustus Caesar started it before Jesus was born. What he did is he knocked out all of his enemies. He beat Anthony and Cleopatra. He eliminated Carthage was gone. Uh, the Punic Wars were over. He, the legions, the Iron Legions of Rome were far in the east, keeping the Parthians at bay. Across the whole world, the whole civilized world in the first century, there was what they called peace. And what it meant was that there was the absence of hostility. And it was a peace that was created by just the force of arms. Rome was just powerful and more mighty than anyone else. So no one, no one competed with them. Nobody tried to attack them. And so there was peace. That was peace produced as the absence of hostility, and it was produced by just the fist of might. It was kind of like the communist empire during the Cold War era where the communists had peace throughout the United Soviet Socialist Republic. And now we know it wasn't united at all. It wasn't really a republic. It was just the might of Russian armies keeping this vast, incredible uh, continent of a nation together. And it was the force of arms. That's a peace that the world can give us. It's one of the peace, the pieces that we have. Now, in the midst of that false peace, which was all the seething competition between nations, and eventually it all comes unglued, but all that incredible competition, in the midst of all that, God used that peace that the Romans had produced to create a world that was ready to receive the Prince of Peace. Because in the Old Testament, peace was a lot more than just the cessation of war. In the Old Testament, peace was a lot more than just forcing everybody into behavior patterns so they would keep from fighting each other. It wasn't just a negative concept. It was an incredibly powerful, positive concept. In fact, throughout the Old Testament, and even today, if you're from a Jewish background, your normal greeting is shalom. All of you have heard that greeting. We greet each other with, hi, how are you? Good morning. Doesn't really, what does hi mean? You know. Good morning, that means something. I hope you have a good morning. But shalom is the way that Israelites would greet one another. And it would mean this. It would be a prayer. When they said shalom to you, it would be, may you be complete. May you enter into all the fullness that the Lord God has for you. May you one day experience the glorious peace that took place on the sixth day when the Lord God, the Creator, said that it is all good, and Adam and Eve, the beginning of the human race, were in a beautiful, peaceful, tranquil, incredible garden, and there was peace. There was shalom. The end of the sixth day, there is shalom. And that's what they'd be praying. And then that shalom was crashed. Adam and Eve rebelled against God. They moved away from the author of peace. They moved away from the author of togetherness. They, they, they entered into the Lord of, of all confusion and all conflict. And right away in Genesis chapter 4, after the fall of man in Genesis chapter 3, you have Abel being slain by his brother, a murder right in a family. The very first man that's born murders his brother. 
We have the, 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 the whole civilization of Cain rising up and be developing great technologies, but they're really angry with God. We have God in Genesis 6 looking upon all the world that he created, and he sees that only the attitudes of man are evil continually. The world is filled with chaos. It's filled with a flood. And so the world is not filled with peace. And God sends this horrible catastrophe of nature. And the whole world floods. And God preserves one family. Noah, the only man that found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And, and the peace of this earth is shattered. In Genesis chapter 12, flowing out of Noah's three sons, we have a man named Abraham who's born, and God calls him from a pagan city, and he says, I want to make you into a nation, and I'm going to bless you, and I'm going to give you a land, and in you, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. And the Old Testament, when it spoke about shalom, started narrowing it down. There's going to be a people of peace on this planet. There's going to be an Israelite nation flowing from the fruit of Abraham and Sarah. And they're going to be a people of peace. In fact, in Exodus, when God initiates his covenant with the Israelites, he calls it a covenant of peace. He says, I'm no longer hostile towards you as a nation. I am your king. I am your father. I'm the one that will take care of you. I'm going to produce an agreement of peace. But what do you know about the Old Testament? You know the Old Testament teaches that God's people that were supposed to be in this peaceful relationship with the Lord, they're not at peace at all. They're coming unglued. They're rebelling against them. They're breaking the commandments. They're following after false gods. And the whole Old Testament is about this incredible conflict. And there's no peace for Israel. There's no peace for Israel. In fact, we end the Old Testament. We end the Old Testament with a great secular powers like Babylon and then uh, Medo-Persian Greece totally subjugating God's people of peace. And this little tiny bitty nation called the Israelite nation is under the tremendous you know, iron fist as we begin the first century of Rome like I was just sharing with you. But those Israelite people had a great hope and it had to do with peace. Their prophets, their prophets in the midst of all of this conflict, no peace at all, their prophets captured a vision from the living God, and that living God predicted, like in Isaiah chapter 11, a passage that you all study at Christmas time, and Isaiah chapter 9 is the beginning of that passage that leads into Isaiah chapter 11. But Isaiah 9 has that famous passage that says, But unto you will be given a son, and the government is going to rest on his shoulders. He's going to be a son of King David. And his name is going to be called the Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father. And his name is going to be called the Prince of Peace. And of the fulfillment and the moving out of his kingdom, there will be no end. These incredible prophets had a vision. It's a vision that's deep in every one of your hearts. You want to believe that it's not all going to end with Stalins and Hitlers and, and all kinds of terrible conflicts. You want to believe that it's not going to end with suicide bombers and it, it's not going to end with all the world, you know, blowing each other up and everything going up in a nuclear holocaust. You don't want to believe that. And the, the Old Testament prophets said, we know that it isn't going to end up like that. We know that a great prince of peace is going to come. And that's who came in the first century. And Jesus was born. But unlike what you'd expect, Jesus chose to not just be like Augustus and use his omnipotence, use his power, and might use the great armies of heaven just to force a peace. 
And that brings us to the world that we're living in right now. It's the world of the first century, and it's your world. It's a world where, as we look at this present planet, there isn't peace. There was great conflict in my life this week. There was death. There were accidents. There's conflict in our family with our grandkids. How about your family? So you've got to ask the question, now, where is this peace? And the Lord Jesus says, my peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you. Not as the world gives it, give I unto you. Don't let your hearts be troubled. You believe in me, believe also in me. And then in my daddy's house, there's many rooms. Don't let your heart be troubled. Because I'm going to go and prepare a place for you. And what Jesus did is, I'm going to create a people that are not going to just be Jewish people. Ultimately, I'm going to bring all my Jewish people at the end of time into an incredible, adoring relationship with the Messiah. But I've got an entirely new turn. And I'm going to bring Jews and Gentiles together. And the first century church is born. And these Jews and Gentiles together are going to live in like an in-between time. They're going to live in a time where there's not peace in the world. Jesus said there will be wars and rumors of war until he comes back. They're going to live in a time where there's going to be earthquakes. There's going to be floods. And we well know that. They're going to live in that, this time when, when nature is convulsing, when things are not like it was in the sixth day of creation. But they're going to be a people that I'm going to give peace in their heart. And that's the fruit of the Spirit. Every one of you that's come to the place in your heart where you've received Jesus, the Prince of Peace, was born into your heart, and he brings shalom. He brings internal completeness. He brings internal togetherness. He helps you to face all this crisis, all this death, all these challenges in the midst of a world where there is no peace. And Jesus is causing you to work it out so that you can have peace and then so you can have patience or the ability to have endurance, long-suffering. You can have endurance in the midst of suffering. And that brings us to the Apostle Paul. We're looking at Galatians chapter 5. When the Apostle Paul speaks about peace, what is he talking about? When he says that the fruit of the Spirit is peace, what does he have in mind? Well, Paul has laid, would lay all the foundation that I've laid. He was a Jewish man that would believe what I share with you about the shalom of the Old Testament, how it would ultimately come at the end of time when Jesus comes back, the great son of David. But he would believe that he was laying the foundation for you as the church, and you can have peace through the power of the Holy Spirit coming in your life. As we look at the Apostle Paul's writings and we say Paul teaches about peace, he starts out like this. First of all, he would say that you can only have peace as a gift from God. You can only have peace as a gift from God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. This morning, if you're trying to find completeness, if you're trying to find inner tranquility, if you're trying to meditate and find rest for your soul, if you're not focused on God, the Father, God, the Son, and God, the Holy Spirit, you're not going to be able to receive it. You say, why not? Because unbelievers don't know the way of peace. In fact, in Romans, which is laid out the heartbeat of the Apostle Paul's life, he quotes Isaiah 59, 7 and 8, which shows us that the Apostle Paul is believing that in the New Testament church that we have the beginning fulfillments of the Old Testament promises. The Old Testament prophets talked about unbelievers, and they said something like this. And the way of peace the unbelievers have not known. Isaiah is talking about the lying and the murder and the deceit. We live in a world where there is no peace. So one of the things as a believer today that you need to understand as you go out into the world this week, unbelievers don't know the way of peace. So don't expect them to be peaceful. Don't get angry with unbelievers because they 
fight with each other, because they conflict with each other, because they lie to each other, because they rape each other. Believers look at an unbelieving world, and today they get incredibly mad. And then they want to lock those unbelievers up in a behavior pattern that somehow's going to make this world a peaceful place. It'll never work. Because unbelievers' hearts are just like Leela and Fiona's heart and your heart. I don't have peace in myself. You can put me under a million laws and I won't live peacefully. I'll still be angry with Mary at times. I will still be frustrated with you. I will be impatient. That's the way I am in my David's nature. That's what the book of Romans starts out. Romans 1 through 3 is the way of peace unbelievers don't know. So if you're looking for peace anywhere else, but at the heart of Jesus, you're not going to find it. In fact, the beginning of finding peace is just admitting that that's true. That in your own heart that you don't have peace. And your friends don't have peace. And you desperately need help to be able to stop being a person of war and a person of conflict and a person that competes with others and wants to hurt them. The way of peace they don't know. And so the Apostle Paul says, if you're ever going to get peace, you need to receive it as a gift from the Lord. And over and over again, the Apostle Paul will begin his letters and end his letters with a statement like this. For example, I can take Romans, and I just was quoting to you. It says, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he ends, 2 Thessalonians, with these words. Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times and in every way. And how do you receive that grace and peace at all times? He says, may the Lord be with you. For the Apostle Paul, the first thing he nails down is that God, God the Father, is the author of our peace. And Paul will begin and end his letter by saying, and he'll unite two strategic words, grace and peace be to you. If you're going to receive peace in your heart, you're going to have to receive God's grace. And what that means is grace enables you to admit, without Jesus, I'm in conflict. Without Jesus, I bite my kids off when they have, heads off when I, they have accidents, even though I know that I shouldn't. I don't have peace when I find out about deaths. I, I'm thrown into tremendous darkness and great fear and tremendous doubts. I can be honest about all that. That's what I've experienced this week. When I sit into a labor and delivery room where I'm supposed to be rejoicing in it and even getting to hold, like putting cap and gown on and going in and holding a new baby son, that's what I usually do. I've done that with tons of you. Or see you come into church a few weeks later with an incredible gift from heaven. That's what we're built for. That's what we're made for. Labor and delivery is for joy. So I don't have peace. And I'm very impatient when I'm in that room. And I can admit that. But Jesus says that he's with me. And his very nature is he's at peace. And he's patient. And slowly but surely, he can begin to create these incredible, beautiful attributes in our life. So if we're going to receive peace, and if we're going to receive patience as a gift from the Lord, where does it begin? The Apostle Paul says it begins when you accept the declaration of your heavenly daddy because of the cross that you can be just, that you can be forgiven, that you can have your sins washed away. So in Romans, he says this. Notice the connection he makes between the fact that you've been justified and peace. Romans chapter 5, verse 1. It says, Therefore, since we have, we have been justified through faith. Look at this. Since we have been declared righteous, and I'll paraphrase it, since God the Father has declared us right before him, 
based upon the work of his son, which is what Romans is talking about, based upon that cross that we were just surveying as we sang, based upon what Jesus did for us, therefore being justified through our faith in that cross, what happens? We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. I want to ask you, do you feel that God is at peace with you this morning? Have you cussed him out this week? You say, Dave, I'm really wrestling my cussing. And I don't want you to leave the church because you have tr- trouble with that. But I want to challenge you to think about why do you cuss? When something goes wrong, why do you express hostility? Like if you hit your thumb with a hammer and you cuss God out, why do you do that? Did God cause you to hit your thumb with a hammer? So what you're showing is that deep in your soul, there's a great hostility between you and God. Every one of you need to admit that. There's a part of you that isn't at, at, that isn't at rest with God. There's a part of us that's angry with God and rejecting God and turning away from him. And grace enables you to admit that. And then you come to the cross and realize that objectively, in history, for real, God the Father is not angry with you anymore. Because he poured out his anger against his son. A great, great, incredible, um, incredible movement took place in God's heart as he took our sin and put it upon his son. And he poured out his judicial, angry justice against his son. And when Jesus said it is finished, he says, God is not angry with you. So this morning, if you're sitting there and you're hostile towards God, I want you to know it's pretty one-sided. God has given you his son. He wants you to come to his son. He wants you to let his son reconcile you to himself. That's the source of peace. And all your conflicts with other people flow from this broken relationship with the vertical relationship which you have with God. Peace begins by recognizing that we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And we have that peace as we believe it. As we rest in that, as we put our confidence that that's true. But after you receive Jesus, you say, Dave, okay, I've, I've done that. I've received Jesus in my heart. I'm growing in my understanding that God's not angry at me. How do I get peace? Like when you were facing those situations and Gatlin calls and Janae calls and you have to deal with a situation with Lauren and Jason and the Brooks family, you know, how, when, when you get thrown those really hard, you know, knuckleballs that are jumping all over the place and it makes you really unpeaceful and you feel really unrestful, what do you do? You pray. This week, as I talk to you with the group, you should, have, you should just be continuing this morning a life of prayer. The Apostle Paul says this in 2 Thessalonians 3.16. He says that our peace with God is nurtured through our prayer. The Apostle Paul says, Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times in every way. The Lord be with all of you. The Apostle Paul, as I was just reading to you earlier, As he ended his letter, he's telling the Thessalonians. What he is, he's not just telling them, but he's praying for them. He's saying, I'm praying that the Lord of peace may be with you. What does that practically mean? As you all find out about the crises in the church, it's why that email is so important and why the telephone is so important and why our connectedness in small groups is so important because as soon as any of you face a crisis that robs you of peace and you're scared and you're frightened, you should have a host of brothers and sisters that begin to pray, now may the God of peace fill my brother, fill my sister at this time. The Lord wants us to live like that together what the apostle paul is talking about he says in romans 15 33 may the god of peace be with you 
Galatians 1.3, the book that we've been studying, starts out like this. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from this present evil age. So what I can say is that I realize I'm now living in a present evil age where things aren't adding up, where death is occurring and accidents are occurring. But I have a Savior inside of me that has guaranteed that it's not going to end here. And that's the source of peace. And Paul prays, help believers, as he begins his leader, help believers to realize that this present age is an evil age. Help them to realize the great gift of God's deliverance that Jesus has given them. And then the verses that you all know in Philippians chapter 4, probably the greatest words the Apostle Paul ever spoke about peace. He says this in Philippians chapter 4. It says, don't be anxious. Don't worry about anything. Anybody been worried this week? Are you worried this morning? You're worried about grades. You're worried about tests. You're worried about accidents. You're worried about, you know, the bird flu. The Apostle Paul said that the children of God don't worry about everything. And, what, and the word there to be worry, it means don't be overly concerned. Now, Mary will say this is not a good verse for me because I tend to kind of coast through life. My idea toward the bird flu is like there's a one in a million chance that it'll ever happen. So let's just keep on going. So you don't want me in charge of health services for the United States, okay? <laughs> what, 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 the, what the word literally means in Greek is that you don't care that much. And there's a bad side to that, and the word is used that way of when you don't take the actions you should and you don't take initiative. And the Lord's not saying that he doesn't want you to be, get off your duff and to do what you need to do to meet needs. Like if a hurricane's coming, if a tornado's coming, we want you to know that God commands you to get going and get out of there. Don't be anxious. It doesn't mean that you don't care and not do anything, but it means you don't have this, this, this free-floating anxiety. You're not paralyzed. You're not living in this tremendous stress. Don't be anxious about anything. Well, you say, Dave, how do I get rid of my anxiousness? Apostle Paul tells you, but in everything, by prayer and petition and thanksgiving, present your request to God. I love the group on a Wednesday night, one of our small groups that's going through the life in focus. Louise Chambers worked in her daycare for years. She has a sister that's, that has real mental illness. Her sister's on the streets in Canada. And we prayed for months. She goes back and forth. Sometimes she's okay, sometimes she isn't. And Louise almost every week will say, just pray for my dear sister. It's easy for me as a pastor teacher to say, man, we prayed. With all those little requests. On Wednesday night, people bring up all kinds of little requests. And I've even heard some seminary time. I, I've even done it as, you know, as a professor to say, man, we need to focus on the really big things in prayer. And we need to focus on the big agendas like reaching the whole continent of South America. I love the fact that God isn't like that. When we pray, we need to pray about all kinds of things. We need to pray about the headaches, and we need to pray about the, you know, the older folk in a, in a rest home. And what I found in my life, if it's my loved one that has manic depressive disorder and is on the streets, that's not a little request. Suddenly it becomes a great big quest. In fact, to be honest with you, every one of the words and requests are big time. And I want every one of you to know, so are yours. And the key to finding peace, which will yield patience in your life, is that you bring all kinds of requests. You have prayer with fellow believers. You don't just talk to one another about all these things. But you get really serious about talking to your heavenly daddy about all the things that you're facing. So my very first thing is, Lord, thank you that Janae 
wasn't hurt in that accident. Notice it says, with thanksgiving. Thank you, Lord. I don't know why in the world. I could go in all kinds of theology, like, Lord, why didn't you, you know, keep Janae, why didn't you call her to be more alert and call her not to try to turn the other lane? I know I've done that a million times, but my daughter should never do that. And why was she out so late? And I can start going on as a parent, on and on and on. The Lord says, don't do that with thanksgiving. Don't try to understand all the chaos. Thank him when he does protect and no one's been hurt with thanksgiving. Don't be anxious, but pray about all kinds of things. And then what does it say? It says, the God of peace, it says, the God of peace will give you a peace that will transcend all understanding and it will guard your hearts and your mind as they're stayed upon Christ Jesus. That's a verse that you should memorize. Cast all your cares upon him, for he cares for you. Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known unto the Lord. And the God of peace will guard. And the word there, guard, means that Jesus and God the Father and God the Holy Spirit will be like a sentinel, like a mighty marine guard that's right centered at the, at the door of the doorway of your heart. And they will protect you. And they will give you a, a rest. They will give you a tranquility that transcends all understanding. On a Wednesday night, one of my brothers shared with me that in our life and focus, we focused a lot on the absence of conflict, and we dealt a lot with interpersonal relationships, and we didn't deal enough with this inner tranquility. And he had a great point. It was very wise. Because Philippians 4 isn't just talking about the absence of conflict. It's talking about shalom. And that's why I've emphasized that this morning. Because in Hebrews, shalom doesn't mean just that I'm not fighting with you. It means that I've got it together on the inside, that I have a unity on the inside, that I have completeness on the inside. The Apostle Paul does say, though, that we're gonna, he's going to generate through the power of Jesus' peace. He's going to generate peace as we focus on God, we receive Jesus into our heart, we pray for one another about all kinds of things, which is why you need to be connected. As we do that, we're going to get along. The Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 2, there's a great chapter about peace that, you, that a lot of you studied this week. Ephesians chapter 2 says that God destroyed one of the greatest divisions in the New Testament time period. Jews and Gentiles, just like Palestinians and Israelis in the first century, Jews and Gentiles didn't get along. In fact, in 67 AD, as I've often taught you, the zealous part of the Israelite nation rose up and there was armed conflict against the Gentile Roman Empire. It was very real hostility. But you know what? In the first century church, Jews with their kosher foods and their sacrifices and their different holidays and Gentiles that didn't believe in those same holidays and ate all the wrong things and would even go out and... and, and didn't have the same views towards their body that the Jewish people had. Great barriers were torn down. And Jews and Gentiles during the first century got along in the church. Sadly, by the third century, when Christianity became the world empire religion, the Jews had all been cast out for the most part. God had a, had a small remnant, but the history of our movement is really sad when it comes to the peace between Jews and Gentiles. And that's because of our failure as the children of God. I could tell you other failures. The the American church has been very divided. No peace between races. So 11 o'clock Sunday morning is the most segregated time period 
in our nation's life. And as followers of Christ, the fruit of the Spirit means that red and yellow, black and white, I could care what color you are on the outside. I could care less whether you smell like me, whether you eat like me, whether you have holidays like me. All that I care about is that through Jesus, together we become the bride of Christ and we're one. Brothers and sisters, one of my great prayers is that you will leave and all during the week that you tear down through the power of the Spirit by the way that you live, by the way that you relate to one another. You tear down all those barriers, some of those things you were raised with because one of the things that the gift of the Holy Spirit in your life will do, it will give you peace. It will cause you to be reconciled to all different kinds of people. And you'll find the incredible plurality of the body of Christ with all different kinds of people. I want you to enjoy that. And I want to commend you for how you're growing in that. But we need to realize how hard that can be at times. And the Holy Spirit wants to come upon us. In Ephesians 2, it wasn't just an inner tranquility. It wasn't just um, a sweet sense of being in the Garden of Eden. It meant that when the Jews came to a, a, a service with the Gentiles, they loved each other like brothers and sisters. I want everyone to sense we want you in the family. We want to be a welcoming church. One of the things that will block us quicker than anything from being able to share the gospel of peace with others is if we're not reconciled to all different kinds of people. If anyone's able to come into our small groups or into our Sunday schools or into the service this morning or as they come into relationship with us where it really counts, after in the business world, and we separate ourselves, we don't connect with them, we don't communicate a sense of peace, a sense of reconciliation, then they'll never hear the truth about Jesus. They'll never see it. So the Apostle Paul took this concept of peace and he, and he, he attached it to the great social divide of his age. And he talked about how Jesus could tear it down. In order to find peace, and as we find peace in our heart, we need to have long-suffering. And all the way through here, I've been sharing with that peace and patience, long-suffering are related together. Just quickly, what does patience mean? You have a long forbearance towards those who oppose you. Are you a person today that puts up with people? that bears with them? Do you control yourself when you're provoked? Will you, will you be willing to delay the enforcement of people that have debts against you, people that, that have hurt you? Will you delay it a little bit? That's what long-suffering means. In fact, in the Old Testament, the, the essential power of this word was that God sees the sin of people and he doesn't execute his justice. One of the major attitudes of, of, of that's revealed about the God of Israel is that he looks upon the sin of his people. He looks upon the sin of the nations and he, he would be, he, in his righteousness, he should pour out his justice against them. But one of the basic eternal characteristics of our living God is he's slow to anger, which is what this word, long-suffering, means that you're slow to exercise your inner passions. Literally, that's what the Greek word means. How many of you have bad tempers? Don't tell me that you're Irish. If you're a daddy in this room who's blowing his temper, if you're a daddy in this room that explodes, you have a short fuse, this is what we need to do about it. We have a group of brothers that are really close to us, and we get them to start praying for us. 
We start meeting with them regularly as they're praying for us, and they hold us accountable. We talk about when we lose our temper. We talk about the lack of patience. And we start doing what the Lord tells us to do. We pray continually, and we start opening ourselves up to the truth of God's word. Because the Apostle Paul will say that that patience is part of the clothing that we put on. In Colossians chapter 3, it says that you need to put on kindness. You need to put on gentleness. You need to put on patience. And that's the fruit of the Spirit. The Apostle Paul says that the new life that you received in Christ is the same thing as the fruit of the Spirit. He's just using different languages. And it's all different ideas or different pictures and different metaphors for it. But he's saying, the reality of what's happening is Jesus came to live inside of you and Jesus is patient. Jesus doesn't have a short fuse. The miracle, I can have tremendous, a very powerful short fuse, but in Jesus, that can be overcome. So as we close today, it's so important for us to realize that we need to put on that patience. As a pastor teacher, one of the things that's really touched my heart, and some of you looked at it, the Apostle Paul in 1 Timothy tells young Timothy that as he, as he exhorts fellow believers, he needs to do it with patience. And I want to I share with you, one of the areas that the Holy Spirit tells, a lot of you come up to me and say, well, how do, you know, you, and a lot of you will do it after this service. They say, well, you just came through a week, and I haven't told you half the week. And I want you to know, it's okay. Sure, it was a hard week. But the Lord tells me, I need to teach you patiently. And I want to share with you that my own human strength, what I, want to, I want to give you hope. When I was a little kid, I was so competitive, I was so driven to win, that when my little brother beat me with an electric football game, I picked that buzzing board up and smashed him right over the head. I had a terrible temper. My parents prayed that I wouldn't kill somebody. My little brother and I would get in fights and throw ivory birds at one another. My mom, you know, was very sick, so we were very much unsupervised. It's amazing Ron and I are still alive today. Because I would explode, and he would explode, and we'd throw these big, heavy, you know, these are not little things. These are heavy rock, you know, iron birds, and we'd chuck them at each other. And then we jump in each other. It's all, anybody have stories like that? Well, one of my brothers in Christ just told me, my brother-in-law, married brother Frank, was talking about some of the situations that, that we're wrestling with in family and some of the situations we're wrestling with in our church family. And he said, and, he, and just throughout, he said, well, Dave, but you're a patient man. I've seen you've been a patient man. That's a miracle. <laughs> and that's the miracle that want to happen in your life. Janae's okay. Mary's okay. And to be honest with you, I didn't have a whole lot of peace taken away from me because of that accident. Because she's okay. And Jeff over here at James' body will be able to put Humpty Dumpty Chevrolets back together again, and it'll be okay. Just praise the Lord she wasn't hurt. Still troubled about Lauren's little baby? But the New Testament closes by saying, one day the Prince of Peace is coming back. And like I taught you on Easter Sunday about dead babies, Jesus doesn't like it when the evil one destroys one of those little babies that he shaped and molded in his mother's womb. And I want every mom in this room that lost their precious little baby, one day 
the heavenly Lord Jesus that shapes and molds those little ones, that gives them that eternal image of God, is going to give them to you, and you're going to enjoy them, and they'll enjoy you forever and ever and ever. You say, Dave, how do you know that? Because I've met the Prince of Peace. And that causes me to be able to be really angry when things aren't resolved right now and fully enter into the pain of it but to still have long suffering. It's what helps me to hang in there in suffering. Gatlin lost his daddy this week. Gatlin was really troubled because his mom and dad had gone through a divorce and his dad lived away from him. And Gatlin, I didn't hardly knew, you know, Gatlin's dad. I knew Gatlin's mom. And I hardly knew some of the other members of Gatlin's family because Gatlin came to our church family as a young teenager all by himself. And I want to encourage all of you parents about the power of the Lord Jesus because the Lord Jesus called Gatlin when he was just about 13 or 14 when he was playing on the football team. And I used to go and laugh at his his antics out there. But all by himself, every Wednesday night, every Sunday morning, Gatlin drove this old Camaro that he had. Never forget it. As soon as he could drive, he was here all by himself. He went through UT helped my own boys, and Paul Zip gets settled at UT. He lived for Jesus, and he came back. And now, well, most of you know him just as a grown man working for Edward Jones. Gatlin was really concerned about his daddy. He called me yesterday in between the memorial service and the internment and says, Dave, I just got to tell you this. Two lay men, just like you, that had become lay ministers, and he said, Dave, you're teaching us. We need to live for Jesus in the marketplace. Two lay ministers just the last few months connected with Gatlin's dad. And they're able to share, Gatlin, we led your daddy to Jesus. And Gatlin said, I have peace. And he said, tell all of my church family, all those men and women, about the power that we can have just ministering for Jesus to all kinds of people, old people, young people out there in the marketplace. And he said, the Lord has given me peace. And the Lord is giving that family patience. Let's pray. Dear Lord Jesus, as we have this incredible Sunday, I want to ask you, Lord, that speaking about your Spirit's gift of peace and patience today would just explode in my own life more, that you would produce this by a miracle Lord, we rejoice with the powerful healings that you do in our midst through the power of the Holy Spirit. We rejoice even in the way your Holy Spirit's uh, enabled the teaching of your word to have power today. Lord, we rejoice in some of those very visible manifestations of your Holy Spirit. But I want to ask you, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would manifest himself in these great Christ-like character traits. Lord, I pray that your Spirit would cause everyone of my brothers and sisters to have the gift of love, the gift of joy, the gift of peace, and the gift of patience growing and becoming more evident in their life as they leave this room. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. For more information on materials available through Truth Encounter, please write to us at Truth Encounter, Box 580, Midlothian, Texas, 76065, Or you can contact us on the web at www.truthencounter.com. Our telephone number is 1-888-668-7884.